and top of the morning to you. Are there any Irish people here? Okay, if I, if I have a little problem with my English, please come and interpret with me. I may need you. Ray just reminds me, uh, I've gone down a lot into South America, and uh, one time I was down there, and they told me that the name Ray means king. So I think that the Ray that had his birthday supersedes all pastoral titles. <laughs> so next Sunday, please come in your robes. Thank you, Pastor Sheridan and Jen. That's a blessing to have you here. Great to see you this morning. We've just had two services already. The last service out in the north uh, was wonderful, and uh, we just had a great time. And so this morning, uh, I do believe that the Lord laid something in our heart, and uh, I want to share that with you and pray that the Holy Spirit causes something to land for you, something that touches you. Uh, because it's not what I say to you this morning, but what the Holy Spirit says to you. Yeah. You might only get one line, one word. That's sometimes all you need. Right. You know, some of us get too bogged down by a long sermon. <laughs> so if you check out on me, I know you've got it already. <laughs> you have gone into dreamland with it. Amen. I can say things I know, but only the Holy Spirit can cause me to say things I don't know. And so we want the Holy Spirit this morning to really minister to your heart and life. We've come this morning that God would just speak to our hearts. We've come to worship him. We just left that other church and I felt I was left a little bit hanging because they finished and they were just singing my most favorite song when I was walking out. I thought, do we really have to go? <laughs> Jesus, what a wonderful name. Jesus. What a beautiful name. Amen. And then we come here. And what are we singing when I come in? Jesus. Just for me. Thanks, Lance. Bless you, dear brother. I'm going to talk this morning for the time that I have about a passage that deals primarily with Jesus and his appearance after the resurrection. And there's some things in there that speak to all of us in our humanness. If your problem is greater than your belief system, then you have a crisis. If your problem is equal to your belief system, you will struggle. But if my belief system is greater than my problem, I can enter into rest. And that's what I believe this morning is just that kind of rest that Jesus comes to bring. Amen. So I trust you enjoy this. If, if not tonight, you can come. Uh, I'm going to talk tonight about living positively in a negative world. So I'd like to see you tonight because I don't want to come on my own. <laughs> so I, it's always good for other people because I could stay in the hotel and preach to myself. I still enjoy it. <laughs> Amen. Because when the Holy Spirit gives you something, it's good for you. usually speaks to you first anyway. Amen. And uh, so I'm going to read in John chapter 20 and verse 19. 
And then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. My, that would make you be glad, would it not? Seeing the Lord will make you glad. And then Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you. You know, it's an amazing thing for God sometimes to get through to us, he has to tell us something two or three times. You would think that the profoundness of his first message would be sufficient. But do you know, many of you here have children. How many of you have noticed that they never hear you the first time? You're not, <laughs> you're not listening. Did you hear me? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you didn't hear me at all. Peace. He says it two or three times. Do you know that the Irish are blind for saying things three times? That's usually because most people can't get it. Or maybe because they don't understand what they're saying. But that's why Jesus was not born in Ireland. Because they couldn't find three wise men. <laughs> the message this morning is going to be at peace. Peace be to you. Come with me into the story. Come with me to this kind of a setting. It was on a Sunday morning. <laughs> You can come to church agitated, upset, and full of fear and doubt and everything else Sunday morning in the first day of the week. And they were gathered, and they had the doors bolted, the windows closed in, they had everything, and they're in a mess. They're just in a mess. And Jesus comes to them. You just imagine the, what fear does. Anybody here been ever gripped by fear? Do you know what fear does to you? The response is a fear. What it releases, fear releases something like 1,400 physical and emotional, chemical, electrical impulses that damage our mental and emotional health. You just imagine what they were like, the anxiety levels they must have had. Every one of them, very differently in their temperament, being affected. And the Bible says they were huddled together. You're really afraid when you're hanging on to somebody beside you. It's like a pajama party. I mean, they were hanging on to each other, cuddling into each other because of the fear. And you know, that's what we do. We say the same thing to our kids. You know, we don't necessarily say, come on, as nicely as Jesus, peace be to you. What do we say? Settle down. Just settle down. Just settle down. Do you know you don't do well when you're not settled down? When you are in a state of fear, a state of panic, when you're distressed about something, you need to settle down. 
I have to tell myself because my mom's dead. <laughs> I have to tell myself. I have been at counters in airline places, and if there's one thing that gets me, is there's so many variables at airports. And lots of you travel, and you know exactly what it's like, and I'm not good with it. You have all kinds of weather situations, all kinds of problems with the airlines, and for me, I just want to go and fix the problem. Why can't they fix it? We're paying big money. Why can't you fix You know what? I have to stand there sometimes and say, settle down. Just settle down. I'll tell you this. That's the time whenever you need peace spoke to you because if you start to get agitated, I watch other people getting mad and upset and angry and saying things. And I'll tell you something. The people in the airlines, boy, they can really be nasty to you if you don't get it right. I've known them, they've talked to me and they've told me that they've even blocked people getting onto a flight to tell them they couldn't get on and they have actually had seats but because they got upset with them and angry with them and mad with them, they, they blocked them. They'll pay you back. <laughs> when you go to the next time that you find yourself in a situation, settle down. <laughs> yes, settle down. Jesus comes and says, settle down. Because you know why? In this kind of atmosphere... It was one of life's greatest issues. They were, they were discovering or experiencing something that was horrific. And Jesus says, peace be to you. But here's one of the most wonderful things. Sometimes we think, oh boy, if I miss God, if I miss him saying something to me, then I have missed it. When he knows you haven't got it, he'll come back and tell you again, peace be to you. Peace be to you. One of the greatest treasures in this world, in the chaos and the problems and everything that's going on, is to have peace. To just be at peace. Peace because you know why? We're not made for inner division. We're not made for inner conflict. We were created for inner calm. We are no good when we're not at peace. We make bad decisions when we're not at peace. We act very unnaturally when we're not at peace. We hurt people when we're not at peace. A peaceful person never hurts anybody. And Jesus says to them, before we can go anywhere with this, he says, first settle down. Before we're going to be able to work with this, we need to settle down. I just want you to come down. My, be at peace. And he speaks into them so beautifully and so lovingly, and he says, be at peace. So he comes to his disciples in four different settings, and we will discuss them this morning. He comes to them in their fear, he came to them in their doubt. He came to them and appeared to them in the midst of the disillusionment and he appeared to them in their guilt. How many of you have ever felt any of these in your entire life? 
all of us have felt one or more of them. And maybe many of us have felt all of them. We're not just here this morning to build character studies of the disciples. But we're dealing with the common factors of humanity. Something we live with every day. These emotions that we're discussing are representative of our own human condition. Fear. Doubt. Disillusionment. Disappointment. Guilt. We experience them. They, we know professionally, neuroscientifically, we know how destructive they can be. And we experience them in our lives. And I want to speak into them this morning. But right in the middle of all of this, right in the middle of this scene, right in the middle of this horrible situation, right in the middle of this fear, right in the middle of this disappointment, right in the middle of the guilt, right in the middle of the whole mess, Jesus appears. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know what I'm so glad about this morning? That there's not a single thing that can disqualify me from his presence. That he comes to me and he comes to you and wherever you are. Because uh, about 27, 28 years ago, I had a theological metamorphosis. I came out of a Pentecostal holiness movement and you had to be right with God in every part of your life. And how dare you ever talk about fear? How dare you talk about doubt or guilt? How dare you talk about anything that's negative? Come on, rise up in faith. Stir up yourself. And we had to do something. And we had a whole lot of spiritual gymnastics. Jumping through hoops. Prayer warring. Trying to do everything. Trying to somehow that we're going to get God to do it. Because you know why? We didn't think that God could come to where we were. We didn't think he'd come to where we were. We didn't believe he'd come to where we are. And I can still hear that same King James English in a very authoritative tone. I still hear it today. Oh, legalism can bind you so much. Not that I believe the message, but the voice. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Right there you were jumping to the prayer line. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? But he who has clean hands and a pure heart. I thought, well, I'm out. Because now between, I'm between a rock and a hard place. Because my hands are dirty and I can't come in. But I can't get them cleaned unless I come in. And we look for all kinds of things and we invent all kinds of formulas to make God do something. But no formula finally works. Not even the formula that no formula finally works. God can do it again. He'll just come to wherever I am. Do you know that it's so beautiful that I can bring him into my mess. I used to think I had to get out of my mess to go to him, not realizing he can come to me in my mess. I, I, I was in, Aus, in Austria, and a young man, lovely young man, he's 20s, and he comes, uh, and he says to me, you know, I have a great desire to get married. 
I really want to get married. But he said, I don't want to get connected to a girl. He said, because I have an addiction to porno. And I don't want to take porno into my marriage. And so I said to him, well, what have you done? He said, well, I have prayed. I've fasted. I've cried. I've done everything. So then I just reached over to him and put my arms and I said, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Wonderful? I said, yes, because at least I know you're born again. Because if you weren't born again, you wouldn't be struggling with it. So at least now I know where I'm starting. You're born again. Because the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is uncomfortable with your porno. And I've never known anybody to make me more uncomfortable than the Comforter. So I said, well, you got a good starting point. I said, so okay, we've done everything, so there's no point in trying anything else. Get on your way, that's it, sorry, life's over. <laughs> no. I said to him, okay, wonderful. I said, all right, tell me this. With all the things you've tried, have you ever done this? Have you ever invited Jesus to watch porno with you? <laughs> he looked like I'd shot him. How can you say that? I said, okay, what do you and Jesus do? You tell Jesus that you're affected by this addiction and now he has to stay in the lounge room while you go to the basement and watch your porno. Then you come back to him and repent and then you're back in fellowship. Is that, what do you do? I said, don't you understand that you're looking at me like I shot you, but Jesus comes and sees porno with you. And he has a mind that's pure and clean, and the reason you're upset is because he doesn't like it, he doesn't want you addicted to it, but it isn't affecting him because he is the son of God, but it's affecting you, and he knows it's affecting you, and if it affects you, it affects him. And that's why you're uncomfortable. So we're going to invite Jesus into your porno. That's a new therapy. <laughs> Do you see, that's our greatest problem, is because we don't think we can bring Jesus that died for all that, that was tempted to do porno, that was tempted to do everything that humanness have ever done. And Jesus knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly why we're tempted in this. He knows what we can struggle with. He knows the humanness and he's been in it and it's okay because you don't have to stay there and because you can be free. Because why? Because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even your faith in what I've already done. I paid for this thing. So I said to him, I said, okay, we're going to do something different now. We're going to get up and we're going to move at this time and we're going to give thanks. The expression of faith is thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I could repeat this story over and over, but just for this one. Here's what we're going to do. Oh, you get the computer. I had a guy 
up from where I go up there in Spokane and Washington, and he's the pastor of the church, and they've got a big church, and he sends me a list of one of the elders that's doing porno, and he says, I think we need your help. He said, we have done all these 12 things, and he's still watching porno, and he sends me the list, and he says, could you add onto that list what we're missing? So I just wrote back, and I said, sure. Tear up the list. What a stupid list. Do you think freedom comes from a list? Have a cold shower. That works. Because suddenly the water turns very hot. Lock out the password so you can get in. Do you see all that legalistic stuff? And none of it works. It's stupid to tell people that. Because you know what? If you want to watch porno, you don't even in an internet cafe, you can go watch porno. And I said to this guy, I said, no, no. Tomorrow when you bring your computer out and you start watching porno since you're addicted, it's part of your daily life. So when you open the thing up and you start watching porno, here's all I want you to do. I just want you to look at the porno and when you feel so bad about it and say, oh, Jesus, now I know why I feel so bad. Now I know why I'm upset. Now I see why I struggled because you don't like porno and I don't have to do this anymore. You died for this. Thank you that this is on the cross and I've been carrying it and labeling it and calling it mine and it's not mine anymore. Because it's on the cross. Why am I labeling and owning something when it's not even mine? The enemy will get you to label your problem when Jesus has already died for it. Stop labeling it and watch the thing. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to watch this anymore. Thank you, Jesus. I don't need to be bound by this anymore. Thank you that I don't have to wrestle with this anymore. Thank you that I don't need to do this anymore. And I said, I'll tell you, by the end of the week, you can use your computer and you won't have a temptation to watch porno anymore. Do you know what? The young man walks into freedom. You see, because he whom the sun sets free continues to struggle. That's the Irish version. <laughs> he whom the sun sets free. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, hallelujah. Do you see? Invite Jesus into your struggle. If you're battling with something, Somebody comes along, and the trouble is, we actually, we actually endorse the thing and enable the thing. Oh, you're such a warrior. Oh, praise God. Keep up the struggle, brother. Oh, keep up. The, you struggle, brother. We're praying for you, you know. And all they're doing is enabling, adding on belief. Putting something on and labeling something. And if you're struggling with something this morning, cut the label off. The enemy's labeling it. And the label keeps you in addiction. But you break the label by the recognition that it's paid for. And Jesus has paid. It's on the cross. And this is the victory that overcomes our world, even our faith. Hallelujah. No wonder. Come on. 
ye have been so guilty, feeling so guilty, but now, peace be to you. Do you know, for a young guy struggling with such guilt, and to hear that, that's redemptive. Everything about Jesus is redemptive. The enemy gets you to believe a label. Don't believe the label. Believe what Jesus says. Amen. Do you know something? This is what's wonderful. That when Jesus comes to them, he doesn't mention their problem. He doesn't mention their attitude. Have you ever said to your children, get your attitude right? I saw you come in in this morning and I want to talk to you and I think you got a bad attitude. Get your attitude right. I don't like your attitude. We don't even know what somebody's heart's like. We don't even know what pain they're in. We don't even know how somebody's hurting, but we immediately assess they got a bad attitude. And they could be like these people, really in pain because of something that's really happened. But we want to get their attitude changed. Come on, smile. Oh, yeah, well, you smile. But in a moment, you won't be smiling because you'll get that in the chops. <laughs> he doesn't mention their problem or their attitude. He didn't even mention their fear. And here's an incredibly interesting way of dealing with Thomas's doubt. He doesn't do anything with their disappointment or their disillusionment. And the guilt that he deals with in Peter is one of the most incredible ways to deal with the second most ravishing, destructive emotion known to man, Peter's guilt. And he comes in an incredible positive way to work with it and deal with it. Hallelujah. That same Jesus is here this morning. That's the only way he deals with me. And when somebody comes to me to try to deal with me in their old theology that they once did, I don't even hear it anymore. Because I want to hear the voice. Hold on. Settle down, Ray. Peace be with you. Yes. Amen. One of the most striking things that I notice here, that at the point of my greatest fear, he's willing to be with me. At the point of your greatest fear this morning. He's willing to be with you. You, you see, in my old theology, you had to get out of that first because God couldn't do that until he exercised super faith. But you didn't have that kind of faith. But at the point of your greatest fear this morning, he's willing to be with you. Is that not good? Hey, a world that's full of fear. A media that generates fear every day. We're so privileged because we can hear when we listen to the media, when we hear the world, when we hear the voice of the enemy, when we hear it, there's another voice that says, settle down, it's okay, peace be with you. Peace is not found in a pill. It's not found at the end of a bottle. It's not found in the resources I can have. Peace is only found in a person, the Prince of Peace, is with us this morning. Hallelujah. My fear 
does not disqualify me from his presence. And neither does it for you. We've all been in a place where fear is. I've traveled to some war-torn countries. I've been in some places that I honestly didn't know if I was coming back home. But I've been there because I know God wants me there. And I've always been at peace. But there's so many things that can cause fear. And we don't have time to talk about those this morning. Sometimes we put on a very, very brave face. And we dare not allow any of anybody to ever see that we could fear or even have any kind of insecurity. As if that mattered to God. We see that the disciples are huddled together behind locked doors. But did you notice? Did you notice? Did you notice in the reading? They're huddled together behind locked doors. Locked doors. And their locked doors couldn't keep him out. And my brother and sister this morning, I don't care where you're at, you can't lock him out. Your fear will not lock him out. Your guilt will not lock him out. Your stuff up will not lock him out. Your mess up will not lock him out. There's not a single thing humanly happening to you that can lock him out. Why? Because you're his child. If you're born again in the Spirit of God today, you won't lock him out. Because he intensely loves us. And no matter how long I live, and I hope it's for a while yet, because I'm still passionate and young. But I only touching the least little understanding of his love. Just the least little bit to understanding his love. You know what? I feel so exercised this morning that I just want to repeat what I just said. Please know this. Regardless of where you're at or what you think or what your attitude might be, you can't lock him out. Right. You might lock other people out. You might shut your spouse out. You might withdraw and get under your little cave and hide away, but you won't lock him out. It don't matter where you go, you won't lock him out. And I really feel this morning very strongly that you may have thought, well, God's finished with me. God's not working with me. I've messed it up. I've got it wrong. Or whatever you're going through this morning, let me assure you this. You can't lock him out. You're not good enough. Your condition's not bad enough to lock him out. Amen? Is that not wonderful? Are you as excited as I am? Have you ever had any doubts? <laughs> doubts about yourself? Doubts about your spouse? <laughs> I understand Wendy. Have you, have, you ever had any, have you ever had any doubts about God? Hey, wouldn't it be terrifying this morning if we had a God with whom we couldn't have any doubts? I've heard so much on hyper-faith teaching, and there's a place for faith, but I want faith that works on Monday, faith that has practical, faith that brings Jesus to me. Amen. And it's okay that I have doubts. And it's okay that I might fear. And it's okay that I... Because that's the human condition. You don't eliminate yourself from it as long as you live in the world. The most important thing is to know He's with you in every condition. Amen. How does Jesus handle their fear? 
He simply comes to them. He just simply comes to them. The resurrected Christ explodes all the fear. Did you hear that? Not your hip jumping through, your spiritual gymnastics. You're trying to build your faith up and get strong. The resurrected Christ, who's in this meeting this morning, he exploded all of their fears. That's all we need. That's all we need. And because he had taken the very worst that the Romans and Jews could lay on him, he was alive. They had killed him, but still he was alive. Now he's alive. He's alive. And because he lives, that's what excites me. That's what gives me passion. Because Jesus is alive. And because he lives, I shall live also. And because he's alive, everything's different. Everything changes because his presence is with me. Amen. His presence is with you. The living, resurrected Christ has changed us from being like the people in the world who don't know this and they don't, and they have the fears of Simon, the doubts, and the guilt and all, but they don't have a resurrected Jesus. But you and I do. How privileged are we not? Yes. <clears throat> Suddenly, it doesn't matter anymore. Hey, you know what? When he reveals his presence, so much that bothered us doesn't bother us anymore. It just seems such a big deal. It just seems so terrible. But the sense of his presence, it doesn't matter anymore. It's okay. Hey, it's okay. Settle down. It's okay. Death is no longer a foreboding thing. His presence removes all the fear. And at the point of fear, he speaks peace. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where's now your victory? What about Thomas's doubt? Hey, he had a good reason to doubt. Certainly wasn't there the first visitation, but he sure had a big reason to doubt. His doubt was born of disappointment. Anybody in this meeting at all been disappointed? It's a big part of life, disappointment. Thomas's doubt was born of disappointment. Thomas, in his livelihood, was doing okay, and then this man comes along, and he throws everything in the basket. He puts all his eggs in the basket. He gives up everything for this guy, and now he's gone. And Thomas's dreams have gone. Thomas's hopes have gone. Thomas is disappointed. Thomas is disillusioned because everything he had hoped for, and he had now no future to look forward to. No wonder he doubted. There's a little bit of Thomas in all of us. And there's a lot of Thomas in some of us. He doubted. Well, it's easy to preach messages on doubting Thomas while we keep doubting ourselves. Thomas just said, <laughs> when he came back the second time, and they said, oh, Jesus, come. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we saw him. He visited us. He came through the walls. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's true. He did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thomas was believed out. Do you know sometimes in disappointment and disillusionment you can just get believed out? And Thomas is at 
the end of his believing rope. Tell me this this morning. Have you ever been at the end of your believing rope? I don't know if I can believe anymore. I just don't know if I can. And Thomas says, unless I actually have some real evidence, unless I have some real evidence, he has to put his fingers in the nail prints. I have to put my hand on this side. I have to know more than you're telling me. I have to have a personal visitation from Jesus. I need to have the reality of his presence. You know what I love? When Jesus comes to him, instead of beating him up and saying, so you wouldn't listen to the testimony, would you? Well, do you think you're better? Did you want a private visitation? Jesus looks at Thomas and he said, right away Thomas is hit with a thing because God's presence changes. And Jesus said, no, 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 Thomas. It's not good enough. It isn't good enough because he's calling my Lord my God before he starts. Jesus said, no, no. No, no, that's not what you asked. You weren't here, but I knew what you said. Come on. Come on, that's what you wanted. Put your finger into these prints. Put your hand into the side. Come on, that's what you asked for. Let me say this to you this morning. He will always come to you in the way that you need him to show himself to you. There's no formula in how he will visit you. But he will know. He does understand. And he'll come to you in the way that you need him to come. He'll come to you in how you asked. He'll come to you because he knows your pain. He knows your heartache. And he will come to you exclusively, individually, personally. Not to deal with your problem or your attitude, but just to let you know. Settle down. It's okay. Peace be to you. He meets you where you are individually. Individually. In my, in my counseling, I do temperament. And in that temperament, the reason I do it, I want to get into the other person's shoes and try and understand them as best I can. He's in your shoes. He's in your shoes. He knows the way he made you. He knows how you would deal with fear. He knows how you would deal with doubt. He knows what you need for the evidence of his presence. He knows what you need, and he comes to you in the way that you need him. Hallelujah. They had put all their plans, their hopes, and their future into this person. And when he died, everything died with him. I got to go phlegmat. Am I all right? Am I all right so far? I, I, got to, I was doing very well this morning so far. And then as soon as I knew there was no tail end to it, I said, get excited and forget. Are you doing all right? Yeah. Yeah, you start walking, I don't know, we should finish. But now suddenly, Jesus is there. And do you see, when he comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, all fear is gone. He removes everything by his presence. Suddenly, Jesus is there. We, have you ever been in such a mess and then suddenly he just turns up? He just comes. And suddenly the realization that he's with you. Glory to God. And because he does, the basis for their disappointment is gone. Because Jesus hasn't died and because he's alive, then all their hopes, all their dreams... 
their future is assured and everything's alive. He brings hope this morning. He brings real hope to us this morning. We have a future of hope. In the world there is hope and hopelessness, but where there is a God of hope, there is no hopelessness. And now they can hope again. Now they can dream again. Now they can rejoice again. All it took was not 12 hours in a prayer line. It was just his presence. It was just his presence. He came in the way that they needed him most. And because he's alive, their future now exists. They had passed the final experience of death and nothing mattered anymore. Have you ever been at the end of your believing ability? Discouraged, disappointed, prayers not answered, what's going to change? It never seems to. Only the evidence the disciples got will be the evidence that he will bring to you and me when we settle down. His presence changes everything. Praise God. He helps us to believe again. And because he's alive and everything else he said is true. Amen. We can believe the word of God because we know he's alive this morning. And because he's alive, then everything else he said to us is true. I now can go to the book, not theorizing or theologizing it, but because the person in this book's alive and everything he said is true. Just because he's alive, his resurrection presence brings this alive and makes it true and real. I don't need to argue or debate it because the resurrected Christ has come. Amen. It destroys the basis of their fear because they can face the next day. It destroys the basis of doubt. It destroys the basis of disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, and it removes all guilt. Now, Peter can smile again. <laughs> he hadn't been smiling for a while. Thomas can believe again. They can all live again. The future is assured. Just finishing off with one little bit about Peter. I just love how Jesus addressed Peter. And I can tell you, because of the destructiveness of guilt, because it's the second highest destructive emotion, Jesus comes to Peter. You know, it'd be so easy, and we did this in legalism, if you had listened to the preacher, if you'd have taken notice of what I said, I warned you what happened. What do you do? Thick-headed, bull-headed, stubborn, and want your own way, and you did your own thing. You suffer for a while longer. Have you gone through some bad guilt over what you did? I hope so. I know we wouldn't do that. But Jesus never comes. Jesus never addresses his guilt. He never addressed his failure. He never told him, I said so. He never did anything. Jesus comes, and I'll tell you, it's the only way that you can address guilt because it's such a destructive emotion. And Jesus looked at him and he says, Do you love me? Do you just love me? Peter wrestled with that. He argued even on it. Why? Because when you're feeling bad guilty, when you've done something horrible bad, you'd rather have punishment than love. People will take punishment before they take love. That's how legalism is so successful. 
because they'll handle, they'll handle punishment before they handle love. And I'll tell you something, Jesus comes and he just loved. Legalism was a killer for me. I grew up in an incredible abusive home. My father's a brilliant man. He, he, he uh, had his own business, run the farm, but he was very abusive. Beat us up right up until our teens. I never knew what it was like to be loved until one day on my way to a soccer match, the Holy Spirit came uninvited and drew me to Jesus. And for the first time in my whole life, and I was not a good teenager, but for the first time in my whole life, I discovered somebody loves me. Somebody loves me. There is no greater healing agency in the world than to be loved. Jesus said, Peter, I just love you. And no matter how much Peter protested, he just kept telling him the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, until love would heal all the wounds, until love would heal all the scars, until love would set him free, and he could go into the ministry that Jesus had called him to. Isn't that wonderful this morning? That right now his love sweeps this place, his presence in this place. And do you know we don't even have a clue really, or at least I'm assuming you're like me, how much he loves us. Just how much he loves us. Just, just know this little bit. It's like J.B. Phillips in one of his masterful little books called Your God is Too Small. He says, it's, he uses it in photographic terms, and it says, like looking through the lens of a camera. What you see is God, but it's not all God. I've only a little lens into the love of God, but he loves us, and he will meet us wherever we are, however we are. And he says to you every day, settle down. Before he ever went on to do anything, he just got them to settle down. Because you know what? You can't concentrate if you don't settle down. And he says, just settle down. Peace be with you. And he finishes up saying, I love you. I just love you. Do you feel loved this morning? Do you know what? We just left that last church on the north. And because I'm not telling her name, so it doesn't matter. But a lady comes up at the end of the meeting. And she says, oh, please. She said to Pastor could you get ready to come pray with me? She says, all the time, she said, I felt that God was after me with a big stick. And this morning, it's just revolutionary. God's not pointing his finger at anybody. He's not a big ogre in the sky ready to zap me like a bug the moment I step out of line. And I prayed with her and spoke peace to her. She doesn't have to live this way anymore.